0: James chapter 1 verse 18 once again, uh, and that will be the the subject of our study. Uh, Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let's pray. Lord, we have come to this hour in anticipation. There is nothing on earth that is more powerful than your word. There is nothing on earth that is more precious than your word. There is nothing on earth that is able to convert the soul. There is nothing on earth that is able to heal and help those who are in trouble. There is nothing on earth that can guide us and lead us to heaven except your word. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us full focus, uh, full intent, full purpose to hear your word full purpose to hear our God speak to us in his word. We're thankful for the word that's gone out with Pastor Weaver already, and we pray your blessing upon that. We pray you would own what he spoke to those people. We ask that you would do mighty things through your word today, not only here, Lord, but all the places we regularly pray for. We ask that Christ might see what he suffered for, and more people would be raised up to give him eternal glory and praise. Amen. Amen. Since this is the second part of uh, our study in uh, verse 18, we we just need to step back a little bit and uh, look at what has come before. Uh, You remember that uh, James is trying to prevent the people from blaming God uh, for temptation. And he lands the responsibility for temptation and its results squarely on the person. Each one is carried away. The word is strong. It literally means dragged away uh, by their own lusts and enticed. And when that is conceived, he says, it gives birth to sin and sin gives birth to death. That is the process of sin. That is the process of temptation that's allowed to go to sin, and its, its fruit is death. Paul just says it's the wages of sin. That's what you get. That is what your payment is. And then James uses uh, verse 16 uh, as the hinge, and says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. And then turns and shows us that God gives all good things, Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the Father of lights with whom is what? There's no shifting. There's no change in God. You can put a sundial out there and that shadow is going to move. And James says God never moves. That's our hope. He never moves. There's no change. Everything that comes from him is good. And then the crowning thing before he goes to some Basic, simple things, uh, right? Be be watchful of what you say and do, he says, of his own will he brought us forth. Not only does everything good come from God, but salvation comes from God's will. Salvation comes from God's purposes and his plans. And that's where we left off. Verse 18 is a continuation of the birth picture. In verse 15, my lust carried me away and gave birth to sin. In verse 18, God gives birth by his word to first fruits of all his creation. It's a continuation of the antidote of blaming God. James already said he gives nothing but good. And now he raises to the bar and says, think about your salvation. Where did that come from? He's the father of lights, he says in verse 17. He's also the father of an innumerable number of those that he intends to save. Mm. It also points us to the highest good, the salvation of sinners. And we could say that verse 18 is a powerful verse, but it's almost a stunning verse. Because uh, it, it, the writers, uh, uh, commentators on James say that, well, James is like little Proverbs. And verse 18 is a little bit like that. It, it's, it it's kind of stands all by itself, doesn't it? But it's, it fits in his argument, but stands on its own. And it's stunning in its completeness. Uh, we'll look at it, but it shows us the author, the action, the means, and the results of God's activity in saving sinners. The, the, the outline of the verse just flows out. It's beautiful in its words because it's, it's so concise and so picturesque. And we get to think, well, what are the first fruits? And how did God bring us forth? And what is his activity? And then it's powerful as a whole because it's, a, it's, it's all about the gospel. It's about the good news that we we spoke about this morning from Nahum. How beautiful are the feet of those who come on the mountains and proclaim peace and proclaim the gospel. And this verse is right there. It's the gospel. And I can stand here today and tell you that the God of heaven and earth saves sinners. And if you're a sinner, there's refuge in Christ. If you're a sinner, there's refuge because that's... The God of heaven and earth—that's been His intention all along. It's it's glorious, and we we also studied uh, uh, the author, uh, the action. We, we looked at the instrument and the means. We're, we're going to get to the rest. But uh, the the word uh, that shows God's intention or shows that He's the author, uh, the New American Standard says in the exercise of his will it's strong right you go to exercise you prepare you get ready I'm going to go exercise uh, the the new American standard brings that out in the exercise of he 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 stretched forward he did something We looked at the example of Jesus rejoices in matthew eleven twenty seven All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal. Of his own will he brought us forth, and Jesus says, here's how the plan works. I know God, God knows me, and I'm come to tell you uh, about the gospel. After he rejoices, he says, come to me all those who are, heavy laden because that's god's plan right from the from the beginning we we looked at a a translation note somebody else said it's according it's accordance with god's deliberate purpose we have deliberate purposes and sometimes the deliberate purposes don't work out well i had a deliberate purpose it didn't work out but but god's work can never fail can it And then we saw the the meaning of his own will. There was no compulsion. There was no compulsion or necessity for God to do it. Uh, There was no merit in us. Oh, I've got to save these people because they're good. No, it's the opposite. Uh, They're they're sinners. And uh, God did it because it was his good pleasure. Jesus tells the disciples with, with confidence, it's God's chosen gladly. To give you the kingdom. He's, he's chosen out of his own good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Matthew Poole says out of his mere good pleasure as the original cause and not moved by any dignity or merit in us. We then looked at the scriptural support uh, that God uh, predestined people. We looked that he, he called and then he justified and those he justified and, and those he glorified. And, the, and the, the, the picture is that if you're saved, you're saved to the uttermost, which Paul says later. It's a complete salvation. God's activity is demonstrated in, uh, in Ephesians 2. Uh, God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. What is he looking down on? What is he looking down on? He's looking on spiritually dead sinners. And it's because of his great mercy. What did he do? Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That's a little reminder there. Who makes sinners alive and why does he do it? It's because of grace. Yes. It's because of God's mercy and grace. He raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And we all end up in the same place, don't we? In glory. Called, justified, sanctified, glorified. Where do we end up in Ephesians? We, we end up sitting in, the, in heavenly places with Christ. Everything that happened to Christ happens to us. Buried, raised, and glorified. Uh, then we talked about his action. He brought us forth. I mentioned it already uh, that uh, uh, man brings forth sin. God brings forth the first fruits. And uh, in verse 17, he's called the father of lights. We took a little time to, to think about that. The father of lights, the father of every heavenly body that's out there. Uh, every star, every planet, every black hole. And uh, in the Milky Way alone, there's a hundred thousand million stars. And I can't figure out how many that is and probably neither can you. But they call it the Milky Way because it's so dense with stars, it looks milky. And God created them. But that's only one galaxy, isn't it? We talked about that. The, the scientists look and they, well, you know, they, oh, scientists are baffled. Oh, you're baffled. Well, you figured everything else out. You won't let creation be taught in schools, but you look at the universe, and you're baffled. You look at the ocean, and you say we haven't, we haven't figured out everything that's going on down there. We know how everything else worked out, and we won't teach our kids creation, but we're still baffled by stuff. It's just the lie of evolution. Every star, hundreds of millions of stars And we looked at Psalm 147, I believe it was. They all have names. He named them all. Only God could name them all. The offspring of God's deliberate plan we saw is a corporate plan. He's saving a numberless amount. There's numberless stars. And Revelation 7, 9 says there's so many saved people that you can't even count. You can't even count the number of people that are going to be saved. It seems strange, doesn't it? In every age recorded in the scripture, there's a majority of wicked people and not saved people. Mm -hmm. But in that day, in that day, we may have time to react and say there is an awful lot of people up here. There's an awful lot of people that were redeemed. Our purpose is our view is limited, isn't it? We say, "Oh, American Christianity is terrible. We're in trouble. People don't want to hear the word. People don't do this. People don't do that. Nobody's going to be saved, but we may be surprised because it, because God is working. So He made us alive. He's uh, doing this, and it's a corporate plan. Many many people will be saved, but but we also looked at the fact that it's a it's an individual plan. God brought forth." you. God brought forth me. You're here today if you're a Christian as a worshiper of God because God worked in your life. Not as a cookie cutter, not as a stamp, but as a personal way that he demonstrated to you that I desire you to be one of my children. It's a corporate way, but it's a personal way and it's very personal because we all come from different places. You've heard it before. I could tell you stories about myself that would cause the hair in the back of your head to grow up, You uh, go up. You, you know I sat in federal court with my knees knocking together. But that's my personal thing. And God had to do that in order to save me. And some people, go ahead, believe in Jesus. And they say, I don't remember a time when I don't but didn't believe in Jesus. And praise the Lord about that. Bless the Lord that you didn't have to go to federal court. Bless the Lord that there was nothing else that happened. A corporate plan and an individual plan. And the imagery of birth we looked at is all over the scriptures. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name who were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but God. Who births Christians? God births them. Yes, he does. I can say, oh, I'm going to get married and I have two or three kids. That's my plan. God's plan is to, to birth Christians. Peter says, blessed be the God and the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. And God brought the conviction, and brought the power of the Holy Spirit and everything said you're a sinner, you've got to go to Christ and, and by his grace and mercy, you did and you said I need refuge in Christ. And Jesus says come on, because you won't be disappointed. There's safety here and the redemption is so complete, it's as if you were crucified with me, buried with me, baptized and we're going to be in glory together. A glorious future. And then we looked briefly at the instrument. I think I, I I think I sped up a little bit But it's notice the instrument and the means by the word of truth mm-hmm. We looked at it this morning when Nahum said there's peace and good news being published and and Paul goes through it in, in Romans chapter 10 and he says People believe and they confess, but how did that happen? How do you believe on somebody if you haven't heard? And how do you hear unless somebody's sent? And how do you be sent unless God sent you? But it's by the word of truth. They're simple words, aren't they? Paul says in Ephesians 13, In him you you also, after listening to the message of truth, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The Holy Spirit starts to tell you the truth about yourself. The truth about your condition. And most of all, the truth about Christ. That's the only refuge. That's the only place you can go. That's what you'll know. That's what you have to hear. Well, I just want to study theology. I just thought all I had to do was go to church once a week. No, You need to hear the truth. It's powerful words because this is the instrument. God said, let there be light. And what? There was. There was no doubt. But God also said, let that sinner start to worship. Let that sinner be saved. That's the power. It's the same power. All the words, all the way that God's word is spoken of. The word of the Lord, the word of Christ. We're supposed to let the the word of Christ dwell with us uh, uh, richly. It's supposed to be there doing stuff all the time. Holding fast the word of life, Paul says. Keep his word, remember his word. The Old Testament, we've talked about it before. We need to be Psalm 119 people, don't we? I have to look at God's word every way. His testimony, precepts, this and this. David says, your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. When I look at the whole sum of everything you say, what do I I see? Truth. He says, the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. God doesn't speak to no effect. He speaks an everlasting word. He speaks a powerful word. He speaks a word that's able to convert sinners. Jesus promised the disciples, when the Spirit comes, he'll guide you into truth. 1 John hammers away knowledge of the truth, knowledge of the truth. What we have going on in our country now is a, is a 22nd, 23rd century Gnosticism. People, don't, people aren't people of the word. They're people of their feelings. They're people of their emotions. Oh, I think the Lord's telling me to do this. Well, where did you find it? Where did you get that idea People go astray from the truth. Remember Acts 17, one of, my, one of my favorites. Paul just starts preaching to them the truth. And he says, you worship in ignorance, you just have idols. This is how it really is. And he speaks to them about creation and righteousness and, and Christ and judgment. And they hear about the resurrection and they say, well, that, that's enough for today. But here's the intended results. This is the new, this is the new material. So that we might be a kind of first fruits of his crea- creatures. That, that's it, a special portion. And the Old Testament says, Exodus 23:16 and 19, observe a feast of the harvest of the first fruits of your labors from what you sow in the field. You shall bring the choice first fruits of your soil into the house of the Lord your God. There's a process. It's physical stuff. Here's my field. I grab some of it. I bring it to the Lord. Exodus 34:22 and 26 you'll celebrate the feast of weeks that is the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the feast of in gathering. The very first the very first of the first fruits of your soil you bring into the house of the Lord. Uh, Leviticus 23, there's a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest, you bring it to the to the priest. God says, its grain offering shall then be two-tenths of an ephah, of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering by fire to the Lord. Uh, for what? A, a soothing aroma. And God says, I, I want to show you how gracious and merciful I am. You can bring me the first fruits and set it on fire and that soothes me, that that shows me that that you uh, are worshiping. The first, first fruits are be supposed to be holy to the Lord. Uh, numbers 18, 12. All the best of the fresh oil and the best of the fresh wine and of the grain. The first fruits of those which they gave to the Lord. I give them to you. You shall give him the first fruits of your grain, your new wine and your oil. And the first shearing of your sheep. Well, I think that's a. I think that point is established. But but look at what we can draw from it. It's a command of the Lord. It's a feast. It's holy to the Lord. It's worship. It's separate from the rest. It's special. It's a remembrance. It's a part of the whole. It's an offering. And it's pleasing to God. We don't have time to go through those. uh, But in the New Testament, there's examples also. And not only this, but we also having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan. Paul says what God, what God does with you when you're saved is he puts the first fruits of the Spirit in there. And the Spirit starts to turn around and guide you and direct you. It sanctifies you in the truth. It teaches you. It always, I can open my Bible every morning and say, God, send the Spirit. Teach me the, your word. But Jesus made the promise. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits we, we we mentioned it before. Here's the here's the first person that was raised from the dead, and that's the down payment that guarantees the rest. It's a part of the whole. Amen. The closest to James is in Revelation fourteen four. These are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they have kept themselves chaste. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. What a blessed description. These have been purchased from among men as the first fruits to God and the Lamb. And that's us. Purchased. I take a portion of the whole. And this is the first fruits. So in the New Testament, it's the same thing. But it's not my goods. It's not my wheat. It's not my crops. What God purchases are people. The first fruits in James is people. And God does it. But it's the same. It's a part of the whole. It's special. They're separate and they're dedicated to God. They worship. They're in the house of the Lord all the time. Not because they're bringing wheat and, and stuff, because they're there to worship. They're there to say, bless the Lord. He saved my soul. James one eighteen. pictures us as God going out into the world with a purpose to find those who he himself would make a first fruit separate. The Israelite had to go out specifically to his field, find it, and bring it. And that's James' picture, isn't it? God is going to find people to save and bring them in, and they're going to be born into the kingdom. They are going to be the first fruits. This God did so that above all the rest of his creatures, there would be that one special part of the whole, just like the first fruits in the Old Testament. You say that's amazing, and that's what it is it's amazing grace. Amen. He didn't have to do it. Remember, he wasn't forced. Nobody told God, You better do something about man's sin. No, he had that planned already from the foundation of the world. John Bengel says, Of all the visible creatures, so many and so great, the faithful are the first fruits the chief and noblest part, more holy than the rest, and therefore they're exercised with temptations. You say, well, Bengal, you just spoiled the thing. Exercised with temptations. But it, it, think about it. Is a wicked person tempted? Evil people, they don't think about, oh, I'm being tempted to watch too much TV. I'm being tempted to drink too much. No, they'll, they revel in the fact that they drank too much. You go through trials because God's trying to, to purify you. Remember the picture of the bride in Ephesians 5. Present you what? Spotless. Blameless. And what the trials do? They they have a work of perfecting and perfecting and perfecting. Well, I think I have enough patience right now. No, you're not done. God's not done. Bengals right. Thomas Manton classifies our being the first fruits under two headings we have our dignity and our duty under dignity he says something short and sweet the world are his goods but you are his treasure we're his treasure we're special to the lord uh, three points about our duty uh, manton says we should have thankfulness for mercy deliverance of sin and god's special care we should we should demonstrate holiness the first fruits we're holy to the Lord. We pursue a, a positive holiness to honor the Lord in all these aspects. I'm a first fruits. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what that's like for the first person to realize? I'm special in God's sight. I'm a, I'm a, uh, he showed all this mercy on me and this love. Can you, can you imagine that? I better live a, a way that's pleasing to the Lord. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then there's consecration because we know we're not our own. The first fruits got got gathered, cut down, brought, they were consecrated to the Lord, and we're consecrated to him too. We're set apart, sanctified. Matthew Henry says that we should be God's portion and treasure, and a more peculiar property to him as the first fruits were, that we should become holy to the Lord, as the first fruits were consecrated to him. Christ is the first fruits of Christians. Christians are the first fruits of all his creatures. What an amazing thing. We come to our applications. If you're wise, you know how to apply it, but it teaches us to cast off all self confidence, doesn't it? How did I get saved? Well, I. I did this and I did that. And you can hear people, oh, I was searching and, uh, you know. No. No, you weren't. You read Romans 3, you, you talk to some people, you think they never knew that everybody was a sinner. Those churches that we've talked about, the one that, that's, that, that said the way to salvation is to admit you're not perfect. It doesn't even work in human relationships. How in the world do you put that on your church's website? Admit you're not perfect. No, you're so wicked, you can't even imagine how wicked you are. The wages of your sin is death. And God stamped Adam's sin on you, and he stamped death on everybody, because that's really what everybody would do. People have to play with it. Just admit you're not perfect. That's a lie. It teaches us to cast off all confidence The passage clearly teaches that it was God's will that he moved to save. Nothing in us recommended. There is a world of trial and temptation around us still, and we need to depend on God. We need to be able to say, God, you brought me here, and I'm trusting that you did, and now help me in every situation. It teaches us to cast off all confidence in the flesh. It's a reminder also Of the power and importance of God's Word. Jesus told the devil, man doesn't live by bread alone but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He was only quoting what God said already. How important, how important is God's Word? Vitally important. It's the only way. It's the the only way. It's the word of truth. It's the word of power. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It has power to save, and it has power to sanctify. So, so why would you neglect God's word? Why wouldn't you see how powerful it is? Why wouldn't you see how important it is? We, ha- we have to use it. We, ha- we have to be people of the word. Well, you know, my dad reads the Bible, and I just, he just kind of tells me what's, you know, what's happening. No, no, no. Everybody individually. Right. Oh, I tried that read through the Bible in a year. We'll try it again. Because it's living and active. You might you, you could be a sleepy time. Oh, uh, uh but God could put things in your heart. You, we've got to be people of the word. Because of the power and the importance of it, we need to we need to use it. It's got to be our spiritual food. We have to constantly apply that word to our lives. Uh, D- David just constantly. Psalm 119. That's what kind of person he was. I love it. Your word guides me. It's a light. It's this. I learn. I this. I this. He couldn't say enough about it. But we also need to deeply appreciate God's word. Uh, many more things might seem Uh, uh, more exciting, well, I'd rather be doing this. But this may not be as important for your soul as the the focus on the Word. And we need to appreciate our uh, Reformed heritage. And what I mean by that is not only the teaching, the doctrine, but that that Reformation focuses on preaching. God hasn't said anything else. Some people say, well, uh, the Lord can use anything. Well, where does he say that? Well, he spoke through a donkey, but that's not his will. That's not what he that's not what that's not what Paul told Timothy, you're a young pest or wait for a donkey to talk? He told them preach the word. How often in season, out of season, be ready to give an account all the time. What did he tell him about the word? It's breathed out by God. It's profitable for everything that you can imagine in your life. You can't just throw it out there. Well, God can use anything. Well, I understand because somebody called me on the phone and told me that they were saved, and that got me to go to a meeting. But the guy told me about the Ten Commandments at the meeting. And that was it. It was the truth that you've broken them all. And God is gonna judge you and since I was just in federal court. I understood what court was all about and it wasn't pretty But that's what we need now they, they depart from it Oh Good news folks, we have the Johnson twins. They're gonna have some special music they have to call it special music because it's bankrupt according, right? We'll have somebody preach special music. It's not special. I'd rather hear a sermon. Oh, we're going to have special preaching next week. Oh, there's a thing called special preaching? See, to some people, that that's not what I want. I want the Johnson twins to finish and just say, Oh, wasn't that so nice? But it's just emotion, isn't it? It's just experience. When's the next special music? Well, when's the next special sermon? When's the next special time in your devotions that you're going to be deeply affected by God's word? Thousands and thousands of churches waste time. And somebody can't get up there and and preach and be like the people on the road to Emmaus and say, was my heart stirred? Not because of the preacher. You're supposed to see Christ, not me. You're supposed to see God, not me. You're supposed to see the only Savior and hope you have in the whole world, not me. The churches get caught up. and, And really... And really, we have to see the picture. It, it's, it's only what a hyena does. Because hyenas pick up on the carcass and not the real thing. Hyenas let some other animal do their work. Oh, kill killed that wildebeest. Get the pack of hyenas over there. We'll, we'll finish the rest. We have to understand that our heritage is a heritage of preaching. And and we don't have to do that by saying, well, that's because we're reformed. No, that's because Paul tells Timothy to do it. That's because Jesus preached and preached and preached. Amen. We've been studying in Mark how often it comes up. Jesus says, "I got to go because I got to preach over there too." It's it it it's got to get into our hearts. Because the world's pressure is water it down, slow it down. Why are you singing out of that old hymnal? I told you that thing of the guy saw the hymnal. How can you sing out of that dead hymnal? The hymnal's dead? No, the worshiper is dead. The worshiper is dead because we worship in spirit and truth, not by the beat. Oh yeah, that's the beat. Now we can worship. The beat's going. No, no, no. You worship because you reflect on those words. You worship because you hear what has been said. You worship because you see that God has saved sinners out of his own free will, out of his own desire. And James adds it at the end. You're special. You're the first fruits of all his uh, creation. And and that's where we end up. That's where we end up. We just have to be amazed and wonder that God saved sinners. It's not about Reformed heritage. It's not about that. The, the, God saved sinners. He brought us forth to be the first fruits. We've been made firstfruits. And the passage in Revelation, we'll just go back to that as we close. These have been purchased from among men as firstfruits to the God and to the Lamb. Well, may God write these things on our heart, brethren. May God put these things there that we can carry them with us. Everybody says anything but the Bible. Anything but the Scripture. You could make an acronym about it. You could make a slogan about it. Well, the Bible says, well, what's that? Who wrote that? Oh, it's God breathed. God breathed out the words. Oh, I I don't believe that. And they turn away from the very breath of the living God to save their soul. And they say, I'd rather have something else. Let's bring the Johnson twins back. But that's what's going on, brethren. It's a, it's a tragedy. I'd rather hear something else than the Word. At what you are in the church, you have to be, have to be at home. I went there today and I heard a sermon. Well, <clears throat> preach to yourself tomorrow morning on your knees or sitting in that chair and reading the Word and saying, God, open your Word to me. Open your word. Help me to be a person of Psalm 119. Help me to be a person who understands that your word is worth more precious jewels, whatever. More to be desired than gold. Yeah, I I get a pretty nice F-150. No, more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in a honeycomb. Because what does it do? It's able to save your soul. James is going to James is going to say it in, in, in a couple of verses. Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is what able to save your soul. Do you see the power of it? Do you see the power of God's word? You mean just words can save my soul? Yes, they can. And bless God if you are saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, use this use this verse. Write it on our hearts. This is you, Lord, for ages and ages. This is you. You've never changed. You're a covenant starting God. You're a covenant God who fulfills promises, and you are a covenant God who will finish every prophecy, every promise. Our hope and our foundation is that our salvation will bring us to the very end, that Jesus Christ, even at this moment, intercedes on his behalf on our behalf that as we have heard your spirit can write these things on our heart help us lord to walk in a manner worthy of you help us to shed every hindrance help us to get rid of things that distract us from your word and help us to persevere lord even beginning today in christ's name we pray amen